Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, I'm so happy you're here listening today. I have a really special guest, a friend of mine, Protima Rodriguez, who is right now in Mumbai, India. And so on this podcast, we're not only going to explore her story uh, and how yoga has changed her life, but we are also going to touch upon the deadly COVID-19 crisis that is pushing the country near to collapse, especially in many major cities. Of course, India is a very vast country with uh, different things going on in different areas, but overall, there is a big crisis happening right now with lack of oxygen cylinders, not enough hospital beds, one doctor per 200 patients in many areas, in many hospitals. Uh, many people have been dying outside hospitals, unable to get in for oxygen or for a bed. They're not even being able to be seen. People are losing their loved ones, and the death toll is nearly 190,000. And the peak of this uh, second wave of the pandemic is still three weeks away, so the numbers are growing daily right now. So as a community who has received so much uh, personally and professionally uh, from India, we have enjoyed the boons and blessings of their spiritual heritage and li- lineage. Um, many of us feel intimately connected to this country like it is a second home, And we feel very responsible and want to respond quickly and enthusiastically to the crisis that's happening there. It's it's breaking a lot of our hearts, and I'm sure it's breaking yours too if you've been keeping up with it in the news. So we have come together as a collective, several teachers. Um, We're all offering classes by donation, and you can... uh, get online and donate and join these classes. They will be May 7th and 8th and 9th. And all the proceeds, all donations will go to two charity organizations, non-governmental organizations that are helping to serve uh, people in rural communities and also underserved people. One is an oxygen cylinder relief project, and the other one is care for the caregivers, uh, giving out kits in uh, rural centers. So I really hope that you will make a donation. You can donate any amount, give generously, because all donations are going directly to these charities towards helping India in their time of need and helping the many people there who really are much less fortunate than we are who don't have access to health care. They don't have access to savings and funds for health care. And as many of you know, India's been um, off and on in a state of lockdown where many of the poorest workers, um, people who are doing the labor in the country have lost their jobs and are suffering the most. So we really want to band together and help them. There's going to be many different teachers for 26 hours, I believe, straight. We'll be uh, having classes on one Zoom link. You can attend as many of these classes as you want with as many of the teachers as you want. And there will be special bonus classes with Kino McGregor and David Swenson on Sunday, May 9th. 
And uh, we just really hope that you'll join us. And I hope that you enjoy listening to this special episode straight from India and straight from the heart. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so excited that you're here with us listening today because I'm here with Russell Case. Well, actually, we have um, an important uh, uh podcast today it's it's more journalism than than some than anything we've done before kind of yeah we're going to talk about some current affairs because we're here with protima rodriguez rodriguez who yeah. is living in india right now and has um i guess an organization that organizes retreats and workshops with ashtanga teachers bringing international teachers into india to connect with local people there practicing ashtanga yoga so hi pratima how are you today hi russell hi harmony uh i'm very well so far not Good. dead did I just? <laughs> yeah, good. Not dead. Always. Not dead. dead. Yes. You know that's not always the best option. <laughs> <laughs> just want to bring some dark humor into, given what India is going through. So so far, not dead. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. It's pretty intense over there right now, isn't it? Uh it is, to uh, say the least. Yeah. Yeah, we will we will get into into yeah, that. We'd like to, we'd yeah. like to hear more about the current affairs there. Uh, I have um, a little short intro intro as well as as Harmony and I have now started doing dual intros. Um, <laughs> quite competitive in this family. <laughs> um, so, Pratima, you are the founder of True Bay India, and it's the first company in India to focus on premium Ashtanga yoga workshops and and retreats with the purpose of making Ashtanga yoga and its teachers more accessible to students in India. Uh, um, that's something that I, I took from your website. I, I think it's, it's still accurate. Can you, can you tell us more about your mission of bringing Ashtanga yoga to the, to the underserved? Is that how you would, you would characterize it? Uh, n yes and no. It's um, so basically uh, it's, it, it is, um, Okay, I'm gonna go. It's not underserved. Uh, uh, it's primarily to those who, you know, for so I'll 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 give you a backstory about how uh, a true base setup because the, you know we ha all of the premium, senior, top international Ashtanga teachers, all of the ones who have years of experience, are all those who live outside of India, and uh, none of us in India who are Ashtangis had access to those teachers, except Deepika, who's my teacher. Uh, and if you had to give up your life and go to Mysore and practice with Sharaji, those were the only two options available, at least when I was practicing. And mm -hmm. so um, the, the, the idea was to, to bring top international Ashtanga yoga teachers and give them uh, Indians access to these teachers and their learnings over the decades that they have been practicing and teaching. Uh, at the same time, uh, each of the workshops and retreats that I have organized have always had um, multiple students who've come in, who've probably many of them have never even entered a yoga studio in their life uh, and would not have been able to have the opportunity to practice with uh, teachers who have come into India. Hmm. So it's a, you have uh, kind of scholarships then for that students to, to practice. So that if David Swenson correct. was coming and someone didn't have 
you know, five hundred or five thousand dollars, <laughs> they could somehow work it out and then still be able to attend. And absolutely, and, uh, absolutely. Oh, that's nice. And I, I wonder if you, if you think of your mission in the same way that, um, say the say as the Buddhas to try and try and get a particular teaching in to the public in a more democratic way. That's less elitist, say. Yeah, I would say that. I think like for all the, you know, for all the workshops, uh, I, I don't know about the Buddha part, but uh, 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 <laughs> the all of the workshops and retreats have had, uh, you know, like some of South, South Bombay's richest Indians uh, practicing, you know, next to those who would not have been able to pay even 500 rupees for a yoga class. Uh, and neither have known that, you know, it's never known that it's a scholarship or whatever. Uh, and so it's it's also n- not trying to make Ashtanga an elitist uh, affair, uh, because that would be awful. Mm. Yeah, that's it, an incredible mission. That's so is. important. It's it's interesting, because I think it even even 100 years ago, when, when Iyengar was practicing Ashtanga Yoga with Krishnamacharya, and then he went to Pune. He was he was sent to Pune to teach the wealthiest of the wealthy, right? The the very wealthy Potterses in Pune. Right. And then he was introduced to all these fabulously wealthy Europeans, and you know, like uh, Yehudi uh, Menuhin, yeah. and he's traveling all around the world on on their dime, right? So it's still it was very. That's the kind of thing that is elitist at, at heart when you when you have these very. Um, wealthy benefactors agreed i completely agree yeah so how that's how is it that we can we can spread our mission um in a way that benefits the most people that's that's always a question because like for harmony and i we always have to ask that question whenever we teach is it too much money is it not enough money you know we want to get people in the door um, but we also need to pay for our own family's education our own child's education Agreed. Uh, so I, I think that's like, it's, it's, it's a tough balance, uh, you know, to uh, play out because, you know, I think there's also a lot of misconception that just because you're a yoga teacher, it should be offered free. Uh, which, uh, you know, I as an organizer have had to also deal with because when I've organized workshops, yes, the pricing has been higher, but, you know, I think people don't realize that there's an international flight ticket that has to be paid for. Uh, yeah, and, very expensive. Yeah, that's expensive. <laughs> there's, you know, the stay that has to be taken care of. There is venue costs, all of that. I think, you know, people think that just because you're a yoga teacher, you know, you, you, you're living in some cave and so therefore you don't have kids and, you know, you know, you're just, uh, yeah. you know, homeschooling you have them. A loincloth is about <laughs> yeah. all you need. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's a tough balance, but uh, I, you know, all of the teachers who have taught in India uh, have always priced um, their workshops at, you know, much lower than what they would normally charge when they. Um, you know, teach elsewhere in the world. So Indian pricing, so to speak. And plus, we have tons of scholarships. So um, I think that's where I think the balance uh, plays out. Yeah, that's really nice to have those scholarship uh, places. And then because people who can pay and can afford to go to yoga, you know, I feel like it's something 
also that when you pay for something, when you have money and you pay for something, you value it more than mm -hmm. if it's offered for free. Absolutely. But if you don't have money, you're going to value it still if you're able to attend with a scholarship place. It's a, it is sort of an interesting balance for sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I think like, uh, you know, I think you said this really well, when you pay for something, uh, you really value it and uh, you show up with, you know, your 100%. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wonder if you were you were sensitive to this because you came out of the the financial district or the financial sector. As I understand, you were a vice president of a private equity company for for 15 years, maybe? Uh, so, uh, yeah, my last job was uh, uh, in the corporate world was as the vice president uh, of a private equity company. But prior to that, I, uh, you know, I did, I mean, I was in the financial world. So I used to, at the start of my career, uh, handle the ultra H&W, uh, high net worth individuals of India as oh, a private wealth wow. uh, relationship manager. So I worked with Deutsche Bank and Standard Chartered. And then I, you know, uh, pivoted and I became a product head for, a business uh, uh, for a bank, and then I moved into private equity, uh, which was my last job. So I've been in the finan uh, finance world uh, for pretty much all of my career. You weren't managing Donald Trump's account. At <laughs> no, thankfully, no. no. <laughs> oh, well, we can ask more about that later. Uh, it's it's private equity is really interesting, and I, and I'm it may not be too interesting to our listeners, but I, I just. I just wanted to ask because I, I know a lot of people probably hear the word and hear the term frequently. Um, I just wondered if you could define it for our listeners. I, I, as I understand, it's like um, it's like an insurance company that you pool resources of the investors and then invest, but you're you're doing investments instead of medicine. Is is that a fair summary? Yes, simplistically put, yes. So it is. It is you. you you're pooling funds from uh, corporate and uh, you know uh, uh, high net worth individuals, and then you're making private investments into projects or funding, or uh, you know, say, uh, you know, an expansion of a business or uh, a project that they're looking to do, and they they're not approaching banks for it. And the returns tend to be higher uh, with private equity, and obviously, it's a higher risk, high return game. Mm, yeah. Wow! Are there a lot of these very high net worth individuals in India? Oh yes, uh, <laughs> you know I think <laughs> that's, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah that's you know I think there's a, there, there's this uh, perception, uh, you know, that India is just uh, uh, you know poor naked people. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, and, 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 you know, and, and I'm not dismissing that there is, you know, we, we, we're a large country, we're 1.3 billion population. Uh, and so there is poverty, but there is a lot of wealth. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of the richest uh, top 50 Forbes, um, you know, individuals in the world are Indians. Uh, yeah. so, uh, there is a lot of wealth, but there is also, a, you know, uh, there is a lot of poverty and there is a disparity in that, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think it does. India is, is known, um, for having the largest middle class in the world of something like 600, 700 million people. That's correct. Which is double the population of the United States. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, you know, my, actually my, um, my picture of India is, is of extremely wealthy 
Indians. That's how I imagine. <laughs> yeah, that's how I think of Indians. At least that's been my experience in Mysore. I, it's interesting. My experience has been both. I I definitely have seen the division because, you know, I, I got very close to a couple of um, women who were housekeepers for us and also my son's babysitter in Mysore, uh, her family, and they're quite not wealthy, very poor, actually, from yeah. our standards. My, my only interaction was with the Joyce family. Yeah. <laughs> so, but then... <laughs> <laughs> but then we would go and practice yoga and you know i mean the joyce family had quite a lot of wealth compared to you know the Your women who were cleaning yeah. our houses or babysitting yeah. my correct son, so correct yeah. <laughs> did you did you always know that you were destined for business did you know from an early age that this this is what i'm doing i'm i'm is, was it, did your family do this sort of thing I did not think I would get into business and uh, my family, uh, no, I, uh, my family is basically, uh, you know, I, I come from a family like a typical Indian family that is just filled with engineers and doctors. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so they were pretty much aghast when they came to know I was going to start this yoga thing. Uh, and uh, be with the business part. They were yeah. happy with the business <laughs> part, but then they were like, how are you going to exactly make money? Uh, yes. And um, so, I, you know, so I, 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 grew, I grew up with, you know, like I, I, I think I grew up in a family which is completely type A. Uh, and and <laughs> so, uh, you know, all of my, my both my siblings are in, you know, uh, sort of global heads in, uh, you know, big uh, US companies. And oh, wow. and so uh, obviously, I've always been the black sheep of the family and the rebel doing my own thing. And mm. so when I took, you know, I, I think when I was turning 40, I, you know, there was this, uh, you know, I'd already, you know, sort of practiced started practicing Ashtanga and there were these shifts happening uh, personally. And and I, when I was turning 40, I just felt like if I have to try, you know, be an entrepreneur, now is the time. Uh, mm. You know, I, I can't do it at like, I mean, I'm sure you can do it at 50, but, uh, you know, it's just easier if you try it at 40. And mm-hmm. um, and that that's how I, uh, you know, decided to start it at when I turned 41. Well, you can you can decide to, but how does the idea even occur to you? I mean, what what happened that at forty you thought to yourself, "I need to go to the Himalayas and do an Ashtanga yoga retreat"? What happened? No, so I, I <laughs> so uh, I uh, I I actually went for the Ashtanga yoga retreat uh, when I was thirty seven. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, in 2015, uh, and uh, you know, I was like in like it, it, like the private equity world is extremely stressful, and like your phone is constantly beeping with mails, and you're up the whole night, and you know you're always on the ball. And I just right. you know uh, it was like a last minute plan. I just happened to see I, I wasn't following the I had no idea who she was. Uh, somebody you know posted something about her on Instagram. I wrote to her. She had only one spot left. And, you know, like in four days time, I was at her retreat uh, and I had not moved a muscle in my body uh, till I landed up at her retreat. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and if anyone knows how Deepika is you know how intense uh you know she's really active and and there I was like after every uh Surya Namaskar doing a child's pose Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
Dieu. My God. And you've never done any yoga before. And the first yoga class is this retreat with Deepika. No, so I had done yoga, but it's not, I will not count it as yoga. There was something called power yoga, which was essentially okay. like yoga boot camp. Uh, okay. you know yeah. uh, so uh, you know I, I had tried that but it just hadn't worked for me uh, okay. and uh, and then I you know I, I mean I was just running and you know whatever and then I'd had an injury and so I, I hadn't uh, exercised at all because of a fracture and so when I landed up at her retreat it was essentially having had no done no movement or any proper yoga uh, to answer your question right Right, like nothing regular or <laughs> you're yeah, kind nothing of traditional. Yes, absolutely. Could you touch your toes, madam? <laughs> <laughs> I could touch my toes, but oh, I would good. be huffing and puffing on my way up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the stamina part, I think, that's the hardest at the beginning is the trying to like keep up with the pace of the practice. Yeah, I mean, like you're, you're looking at people and you're like, how are they doing this? You know, and like, I mean, I'm never going to be able to do any of this. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, fascinating watching Ashtangis practice. Yeah. For, for me, the, the hardest part was the nausea of actually trying to stretch something, <laughs> which I had never done before. <laughs> it was the, I, just some, it's the, the sensation of stretching in the hamstrings creates nausea in the stomach. Yeah. That's oh. been my experience. Oh, okay. It's horrible, horrible. <laughs> it's, a, it's still, even today, a horrible sensation. You have such an adverse relationship with this practice. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really the best thing to be saying on this podcast, but okay. <laughs> oh, no, no, our listeners know how I feel about this. So, um, let me let me ask you a question. Growing up, for you, Miss Mr. Rodriguez, growing up in India. <laughs> We we have this idea that maybe um, for your generation, especially the that the yoga is this old fashioned thing that maybe the grandparents did. Like maybe you would have seen Grandpa doing a headstand in the in the in his bedroom because of Gandhi and that sort of thing. What what, what is your your relationship to yoga? Just as as a as a a uh, cultural idea what was it just something that crazy people did <laughs> uh so <laughs> so uh it it like you know I, I like for 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 us uh as the family that i grew up in uh nobody did yoga uh, it was just something that you knew of. Uh, you know, you saw visuals of the sadhus doing it in Banaras on the Ghats. Mm, yeah. uh, you know, and you saw these visuals in, you know, the National Geographic of, you know, the Kummela and, you know, so these people, uh, you know, contorting their bodies. So that was that was the yoga I knew uh, while growing up. Uh, and it definitely wasn't something that was mainstream and uh you, you know it was just something some old people did you know some lazy stretching or something you know which was the perception <laughs> you know most people said you know we do yoga when we're 60 and you know we're retired and you know that was right. essentially what I had thought of yoga yeah, that's certainly Harmony and I that's our future <laughs> 
and and you know and 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 you know while growing up like uh it, you know like like yoga wasn't a mainstream career i i still don't think it is because uh you know like it 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 it's it's just something that uh you know like for every indian it's just about like you know uh pushing their kids into getting into an engineering college or a medical school that right. is the ultimate sort of like career option uh you know in stem fields uh than it being like yoga that's just more something like extracurricular you know that mm-hmm. is viewed yeah. you know uh and it's just something that you do for you know the the perception is is you know what bollywood actresses do for fitness but it's not something you do right. like as a career right And what city were you growing up in? So I I grew up in uh, the northeastern part of India in a, a, a hill station called Darjeeling which is oh. uh, where tea is grown so I grew up in the tea gardens of uh, you know Darjeeling my dad uh, you know is a tea planter and he uh, you know uh, retired as a tea consultant uh so i grew up in nature in the mountains and then my uh, and you know went to boarding schools because we didn't have access and uh to schools close by and um then i moved a lot of cities so i you know my sister was studying in delhi in all india institute of medical sciences so i i worked there for a bit i lived in i worked in calcutta and you know i i did boarding school in the south uh in bangalore and uh, finally i you know sort of uh, my career moved me to bombay uh, which is now called mumbai um in 2002 and so i've been here since then You know, some of our listeners might have noticed that um, by this point that your last name is not um, Kumar or <laughs> Meta. Um, I wonder. I would. I would have. I would have thought that you were from Goa. I would. I was going to ask you that question if your family was was Catholic and from Goa. Yes, my family is Catholic. I'm Catholic. Uh, I was raised Catholic, uh, and yes. Uh, I think we are from I mean we are from Goa originally uh, so if you if you you know the in in the 16th century there was a Portuguese uh, inquisition uh, and so uh, you know a, a lot of the uh, my family was originally uh, uh, I hate to say this upper caste brahmin and mm-hmm. uh, hindus and uh, so a lot of them fled from goa because they did not want to get converted and they moved to the southern part which was in karnataka in south kanra which is in mangalore and karwar the coastal towns oh, uh, and uh, which was all part of the mysore province and uh, which um, and so uh, at some point uh, i guess uh, you know uh, they got converted uh, you know uh, they were caught they were not caught i, I mean they changed I, you know their mind. they changed their mind it was also you know i mean uh, there were there was a lot of forcible conversion of course but i think a yeah. lot of the brahmins because they were land owning or uh, uh, you know a caste uh, so you know when the british and the portuguese so they, you sort of do a deal and you know sort of convert and keep your hindu customs and rituals and so therefore uh, you know our weddings like minglorians which is where i am from so i'm a minglorian catholic uh, you know so our, our, our we will have a church ceremony so you're wearing a white sari or a white gown uh, but the reception um, the bride changes into a red banarasi sari and she has flowers in her hair and then she has she you know the groom ties a mangal sutra which is like um 
which is like a wedding band, but it's just a chain, a black beads, if you've seen, uh, yeah. uh, around mm-hmm. uh, around the bride's neck. Uh, and so, uh, you know, a lot of the Indian Hindu uh, customs and traditions, even in uh, a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the ceremonies that we have are linked to Hindu festivals. Uh, and uh, and so it's it's been pretty interesting to see how, uh, of course, now uh, none of like at least my generation, like my family, my immediate family, we don't keep our Brahmin caste name. Uh, though caste system does exist uh, even in our religion. <clears throat> right. Our our wow. family was also forcibly converted. Um, <laughs> we were uh, we were worshippers of Thor, and then um, the Catholics came, and so we became Christians. It was uh, some time back. Um, A few thousand years still, back. But... Still, still, long, long today, time ago. Tomorrow is our holiday. Friday is the worship. We worship uh, Freya, who is a kind of sex goddess. But um, what's interesting is the goddess is worshipped in India also on Friday. Isn't that true, Pratima? There's a goddess worshipped on on Friday. On Friday, which go- the day which of goddess? the goddess. Which goddess? Like Devi, I think. All, Devi is all the goddesses. On, the goddesses are worshipped on Friday. She's Catholic, I, so I, she's not going to know that. I, I, I mean, I, I. I'm not sure it's Friday, but uh, I guess that you're right. <laughs> I know a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. We would always go up to Chamundi on Friday because it was the like special goddess day. Yeah, but different uh, different uh, gods and goddesses have uh, special days uh, in yeah. which they worship, right? Uh, like That's a so, moon goddess. It's the uh, hill. She's... Yeah, but like, like for example, the Siddhi Vinayak Temple, which is the Ganpati Temple in Mumbai, is Tuesdays. So each each right. uh, each god is different, uh, or goddess is different days. So and uh, maybe in different regions, it's different. Also, yes, agreed. Yes. Ah, uh-huh. India is so complicated that way. <laughs> it is. We're a complicated country <laughs> and people. <laughs> it really oh, is. <laughs> and even like the language, you know, there's like oh, a yeah. big like argument between the north and the south about how to pronounce things properly and yeah there is yeah. A, what is proper what does that mean yeah there's yeah. i mean there's so many languages and there's uh and there's also the north south divide on hindi and you know the south you know refuses to uh you know accept a hindi imposition and right. you know yeah so it 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 is uh somehow we all just fit into that pot and try and get along yeah it's a big it's a big task i mean it's a it's kind of amazing how how well everybody does get along considering all the differences that that people are able to kind of overlook the little things yeah well soon there might be a hindutva inquisition and we can get all this sorted. hopefully not <laughs> um you know, speaking of which, I'm I'm interested in this question, and I know that we want to speak about the present condition of India, but I'm I'm I understand that after studying with Deepika, at some point you just you you decided to study abroad and study Ashtanga Yoga abroad, and you mentioned a couple of cities by name, uh, Boulder and Toronto. So I have to imagine it was it was probably Richard Freeman and David Robson, respectively. Uh, uh Thailandrum. Thailandrum in uh, yeah, in, in Boulder. Boulder and yeah. then um, David uh, David in in Toronto, and it it struck me. Um, you said I, I ironically 
you had to study in those places to study um, Ashtanga yoga. And it, it reminded me of this section uh, by the, the American author Kerouac in On the Road, where the, he finishes the book and he's teaching bullfighting in the East Village of Manhattan. And people really liked it because it was hip and it was cool. And it was a way to study some some new thing. Um, I wonder if if you also are are concerned at all um, about whether yoga is just a fad in North America and and the and the way that it's taught. Do you think it can be authentic? So I'll answer the first question, which is you know the irony of it. Uh, so for me, it was uh, I uh, you know when when I would have these you know, these periods off from work, you know, that one week that you get off from work, I would be, you know, trying to find a Ashtanga yoga retreat or a workshop that I could go to. Uh, and obviously, there weren't any in India. And, uh, and so I would have to travel abroad to go to these, right. Uh, and, 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 and for somebody uh, going from the land of yoga elsewhere was just where <laughs> the irony was. So it's, it was, mm-hmm. it's, it's more that than it being having to go and practice with, you know, say a Westerner. That wasn't the point. It was like, for mm. me, it was like, I, like for me, a teacher is one who has experience, who's you know, like say, for example, for, for Ashtanga, somebody who's practiced for decades, who's put in that work, coming to India. Like, I can't imagine, like when I, like I was listening to Dave, David Swenson speak, and you know, I can't imagine what it was in the seventies and eighties. You know, coming to Mysore, uh, uh, you know, and having a language problem, and you know, taking these buses, and you know, so it's hats off to you know to uh, you know those who who came in and embraced uh, yoga and have been practicing it for decades. So for me, the teacher and, and, you know, and what they bring and the experience is what I want to learn from. But it just felt sad that I I couldn't learn that in India. And that's Mm. where the irony was. Um, The fad aspect that you ask, uh, yeah, I have a problem with goat and beer yoga, but... uh, Yeah, goats cannot learn yoga. Obviously. <laughs> so you know, I mean, the rest is fine. I mean, like, I mean, you know, you know it's just ridiculous. This goat yoga, uh, you know, yeah. whatever. But yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, but like kangaroos, they obviously they know okay. that you they, can learn yoga. Yeah, yeah, they they, they pass yeah. the test. Yeah, they're, sure, they're good. Because, yeah, they're good. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you get that adjustment with the baby kangaroo in the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, I mean, it's just... Yeah. It isn't so ridiculous an image uh, <laughs> as a goat. So, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I think for, like I think the way I look at it is, and this is really my personal view, is I'm just happy to see people, uh, uh, you know, uh, who are non-South Asians practicing yoga uh, and embracing... Um, food or fashion or art or cinema, uh, you know, fabric from India. And that just brings joy. Uh, so I, uh, I, I'm not one of those who, you know, uh, you know, has a problem with it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it just should be respecting the, you know, the traditions or, you know, respecting, you know, yeah. I, I think it's really important to also understand, you know, the cultural context and, you know, in, and especially given where we are in India right now. So to be able to really, you know, to know everything about the culture before you sort of like, you know, take parts of it and only, you know, teach that part. One thing that I, I 
think is so interesting that you bring up that, you know, isn't immediately obvious um, to maybe someone in North America or the West, but, you know, because you're in India and you're living there, um, you know, it seems like it would be so much more accessible, but it's just as challenging. Like the challenges are just as much, even if you're living in India to get like a month off of your job or two months off of your job. Or a week. Yeah. To, to go and study yoga. It's, it, maybe it's even more difficult in some ways because of the, the amount of money you're going to lose from not working. And so it's just, I found that really interesting because I hadn't like necessarily put that in a, a global context, you know, because I know how challenging it is um, in North America for people who like are, have families or jobs where they have to, you know, actually work. (laughs) (laughs) Not like they're not yoga teachers, but they're working a real job as like, you know, in, in a, as a nurse or even you and I, we're going to, we were going to struggle to take time away from, from Calgary to come to Mysore and study yoga right now with, with Jetty, with Jetty in school and with the effort to make money to pay our mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. Families are a big, big challenge. It would be almost impossible. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Cost of living in Mysore and all of that. It just adds up costs. So it's the same, like, I think minusing the, minusing the travel, I think the same challenges that anyone from outside India faces is the same challenges that, uh, you know, an Indian would face. Uh, yeah. with with respect to, you know, going to Mysore and practicing. Yeah. And then sometimes like what you brought up is so interesting because like for us, maybe to take a week off is manageable. You can do. And but then there's so many more options close to us. But for you to take a week off, all of especially at that time, may, maybe it's a little bit different now, but at that time, the options were very limited. So you had to actually like take that long flight and leave the country just for a week to go and study somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, like, you know, I think like, you know, I used to look at, you know, I used to look at, at that point, it was called the KPJ, you know, list teachers list. And I'd be like, look at the number of teachers in California. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, I'd be like, oh my God, you know, like, I mean, it was just like, like, you know, Americans had so many teachers who they had access to, you know, and here oh, we yeah. just had like one and teacher. And we hated each other. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. That didn't reflect no, on the website. No, so I it's wouldn't... like we're like 10, like you're five blocks from the nearest Ashtanga Yoga Mysore room. And you just like. We, you just glare at them when you walk by. Like, oh, <laughs> Competitive. Oh, my shala is bigger as yours. They don't I have know got the more real... students than you. Exactly. They don't know the real yoga like I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's fantastic that you, that you say that. Because I look at someone like Richard Freeman and, and I feel that there's so much, gosh, there's so much depth of knowledge and experience and you feel it in his body and his personality and in his eyes that this is a man who is a master of the yoga arts and you know irregardless of of where he he grew up you you can say clearly his samskaras his karma is meant for for yoga i so agree i so agree it doesn't mm. matter like i think you know a lot of people uh you know think uh and you know, that just because you're Indian, you should teach yoga. 
I, I mm-hmm. just, um, you know, I, I know it's an unpopular opinion and I'm sure a lot of people are going to hate me for it. But I think that, uh, you know, I mean, yes, I mean, obviously, if somebody, you know, like Sharaji or, you know, Deepika, who've uh, really been practicing for a long time, it's, it's there, there in their family. So, yes, of course, uh, you know, if you had a white person versus an Indian person, yes, you would, you know, choose them. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that, you know, like I think when I I you know, I think of people like, you know, David Swenson or Richard Freeman, you know, I mean, like, they've put in so many decades, it's just so much compassion and love the way they approach the practice in their life. And it's just really heartening to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's possible to learn this harmony. <laughs> I, I wasn't we'll, cutting you out of that harmony. No, no, I'm sorry. We'll, I was just we'll keep, we'll keep <laughs> trying. No, we'll, we study. We try oh. every day. And He's to just do, teasing you. We do a little bit. We do a little bit every day, and growth. Comes. I hope you're teasing me. Uh, he, he's teasing you. Oh, so I I forget where where are you today in the world. You're like, in my. You're uh, in India. I'm you're in right ben- now not orbiting between Earth and Heaven, but I'm oh, in Mumbai. Uh, Mumbai. I'm yeah. I'm in Mumbai, which is called Bombay. Yeah. 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 Well, we wanted to ask you, gosh, just how things are going. Uh intense. It is intense. I'm I'm not gonna lie. It's uh, especially the last um, <clears throat> two two and a half weeks have been really really uh sort of like um i think like all of us have just vacillated between grief fear anxiety um you know rage anger you know uh mm. like it's just been a vortex of emotions uh and it has been intense it really has been intense it still is how do you it's it seemed like it it is suddenly quite a surprise oh suddenly india isn't doing so well and like for a long time it was you know maybe brazil and before that the states were a mess and before that it was italy how it seemed like things were going better in india how do you think you you came to be where you are now in this crisis so you know, I think one is that, uh, you know, I have to say this, that, you know, a lot of the, you know, the mainstream media in India was obviously is not reporting the truth and facts. Uh, and so uh, obviously the reality on the ground was, you know, deaths or even cases were massively underreported, even in the first wave. Uh, and, uh, you know, the the image that the government was putting out that everything is all uh you know, well, and, you know, we've managed it and et cetera. And uh, coupled with also, you know, in the first wave where uh, because of the imagery that the government was putting out, Indians just decided to, you know, hell with it and decide to go maskless and, uh, you know, party in yoga, uh, in Goa and organize yoga retreats there and God knows what ne- what else, all maskless no social distancing, uh, whereas some of us who believed in the science were just watching uh, in fear. Um, uh, like I have been sheltering in place for like now, you know, almost more than a year. Uh, and uh, I haven't stepped out of my front door in months. 
uh, and uh, you know it 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 has been a you know a mix. Again, it's just difficult to answer this question again because we're such a complicated you know country. Because there were a lot of people who were just out and about and you know uh, just live you know behaving like the pandemic had gone, and then the government obviously didn't do enough. Uh, and so uh, you know when the second wave hit, it just hit really really badly. Hmm. Yeah. And I was reading also that there was like a few things. I mean, when Shiva Ratri was happening, I was watching a video, live video live streaming stream. yeah. um, from a famous Shiva temple in Varanasi. And almost no one in the temple was wearing a mask. And definitely the priests weren't hmm. masks. And it was and a little was, crowded, honestly. Well, yeah. It, little would be I mean, an understatement, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Exactly. As you know, you know, the temple area is so small and so many people are being squished into that area and and it goes on for, you know, all night. So um, I was really amazed actually to see that. And then and then also I heard that the Kumbha Mela happened as well this year. Yeah, which had like ten million people gathering there. Or yeah, it. I mean, it was just it was just mind numbing to watch uh, the Kumela visuals. Uh, in addition to uh, political rallies, election rallies going on in West Bengal, uh, you know, where like seven lakh people were turning up, the Kumela had like lakhs of people. Uh, you know, with obviously no social distancing, no masks, nothing, uh, and. Uh, and continued it till uh, pretty much like a week ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the cases, uh, you know, in, in, in those states are just uh, in Uttar Pradesh is just crazy. And it's just really underreported. Like we, we're now not getting any information on uh, deaths. Uh, the gov- you know, the, the chief minister of the state has said that, uh, you know, if you amplify or any, um, any cases for help on uh, social media, we will confiscate your property. And they, wow. in fact, killed one person who tweeted help for oxygen. And so we really have no, we're just really very dependent on independ- independent uh, journalists who are actually risking their life to report to us. Good Lord. Wow, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> I, you know, I posted a, a photo on social media of, um, we were ha- talking about this, how how dire the need is in India on um, Clubhouse on Tuesday, a couple of us. And um, I had posted a photo that was taken from CNN, from one of the news channels of um, some of the funeral pyres that were being built outside of the hospitals because hmm. there was no room. In parking lots. Yes, yes, exactly. And hmm. Um, someone from India, I'm assuming from India, an Indian person, commented, like, it's not as bad as the media is making it out to be. And oh, gosh, it's probably much worse. <laughs> yeah. And I was <laughs> I was actually like a little bit shocked and wrote back like, well, it seems pretty bad. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm not there, but it seems pretty terrible, actually. Yeah, I actually saw that comment. And uh, it is, uh, unfortunately, uh, India is extremely polarized at this point in time. And so the ones who support the prime minister are the ones who are uh, very, very concerned about images showing up uh, in Western media, uh, or even in Indian, uh, you know, media through the independent media uh, journalists, 
but obviously didn't seem very concerned when people were being uh, cremated on in parking lots or you know mass cremations or people were dying outside hospitals uh, so it's very very unfortunate that uh, you know that uh, that you know people feel that way because uh, as i commented on your post uh, you know uh, was that you know like if you look at banaras of varanasi as it's called today um, the entire economy or the life of it is linked to cremation yeah. and um, nobody has a problem with fires burning or or any of that everyone just closes their eyes and says oh. a prayer for the departed soul and it's not a triggering image it's that's no. i see it's 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 basically the narrative that is being run by the government that you know show that all is well and uh, you know show positive news and why are you showing uh, you know bias because that, you know death is obviously uh, shows reality and they don't want to show reality so that's where you know these comments are sort of being linked to it is i mean if you ask any liberal hindu they w- they will tell you it is not offensive because processions of dead people are done publicly on roads and every you know day. Ev- yeah like at, at this point every uh, you know like at this you know if you go to delhi it's literally four people are dying every minute uh and so you can't even do a procession so uh and yeah. people say a prayer when you see a dead body uh you know passing on the road everyone says a silent prayer uh for yes. the departed soul it's just part of our culture yeah uh, uh so I, i i don't know where that comment really yeah. essentially is coming I mean- from Yeah, even being, I mean, spending time in Mysore, you would have a procession, you know, every day. Maybe every day, like sometimes several if, times a day. If you're lucky. Yeah, of where the <laughs> dead, you know, the deceased body is being taken in a, you know, parade with all the loved ones and the family and the friends wrapped to in the, padmasana and then taken to, to the, the funeral cremation place, ground to the and and I mean, my sort of i guess impression of death in india is that the culture very much embraces death as a part of life and so i understand you know that maybe you know there's a sort of a sense that they don't want people i guess freaking out about it or thinking that you know ha- burning bodies is uh strange like because it's part of how how the the person in the body's honored is through this cremation process but um also having so many um cremation funeral pyres in parking lots that's it, i mean it seems pretty dire and like you say so, like four people are dying per minute in delhi yeah i mean it's like it's pretty horrific to see those visuals you know where people are like you know like mass cremations happening so it's not even yes. like you're getting a sep- you know that like there are there are places in uh, various pa- rural india where they don't have you know they've you know they've they've run out of trees to cut for the pyres uh and in in cremation grounds in delhi uh, there are fights breaking out you're given issued a token number and you have to come 48 hours later or 72 hours later to uh burn uh you know your deceased relative or friend's body and um 
yeah or or, or loved one and uh, there are mass cremations happening like so, and like you know like even the bodies are sometimes not being burnt in ghee they you know they're just pouring kerosene or petrol because you know they they you know they don't have a uh, so it is it is pretty horrific to have uh, you know to see these visuals to know the you know and this is being reported by indian uh, journalists and uh, it's really really sad we we're just in a human crisis and people are not dying of covid they're dying because they don't get oxygen or uh, uh and they're dying outside of hospitals a lot of them are dying outside of hospitals a lot of them have died in hospitals because the hospitals ran out of oxygen and yeah, so their wow. oxygen was cut off and so it's really not covid that has killed them you know it is right. it is oxygen that has killed them and um, it's just heartbreaking it's just heartbreaking you yeah. said earlier that it was um it's polarizing and and so the 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 political beliefs of the of the people are perhaps informing their how they speak about these events when you say polarizing do you do you mean 50-50 uh, do you think Modi's popularity is is as strong as it once was? Do you, or do you truly think that about half of the people are now are are as outraged um, as who are uh, trying to hide the the events? I think his popularity may have dipped only marginally, unfortunately, because every time uh, I I see a comment, or, you know, I see somebody posting something and. then you go into the comments section and then you're just so disheartened right because people are just uh, you know i mean it's just really sad i mean it is a bit of pill to swallow that a lot of people uh, you know um, i mean how many more lives uh, are we going to lose uh, before you wake up and realize like the government failed you i mean mm-hmm. you, you yeah. know uh and uh you know there's been just absolutely no empathy in the kind of responses that the government has shown and it is sort of reflecting in you know one of you know the central government's uh, biggest followers and troll armies it just hasn't changed and it's really sad it's really sad uh you know because it just feels like there's no value for human life um and the second wave was something that could have been prevented the government knew about it in october 2020 about the double mutant variant right. and did mm-hmm. not invest the 1.3 billion rupees that came into the fund into building up the healthcare into you know uh you know investing into figuring out how to uh, address the double mutant strain and building up oxygen and it didn't do anything and uh, you know uh, so many lives have been lost mm-hmm. and and it's just ridiculous to me and mind numbing to me that people are defending it you know mm-hmm. i mean you need to be you know questioning why the government is doing this to you instead of questioning why these visuals are out there they're out there because the government can't hide these bodies anymore right Yeah. It's interesting that I think there's some very interesting parallels uh between the United States and India and and Brazil. Um we feel was say the pol- there's a polarized section of us in the United States who feel that uh we lost 400,000 people to COVID because mm-hmm. of the politics. 
of mm. of perception of how it looked and so instead of doing something about the disease we the united states pretended it didn't exist and it was not a problem and then so you know five times the number of people died that needed to and it i it reminds me that um that there there's a strain of of nativism uh of um uh in these countries say bolsonaro or trump or perhaps modi where um the the need to say brazil first or india first or america first has meant that um there's less willingness to to listen to your own failures and address issues practically and instead try to manage the perception of events all the time and do would you say that's fair yes, am i being unfair? that's that's yeah that's a fair assessment i think this whole uh you know uh also the imagery that uh, especially what modi has tried to create of the strong leader and you know he's got everything under control and etc and um, you know this hyper nationalist nationalistic population mm-hmm. uh you know with their hindutva uh, politics isn't really helping uh, the situation and you know uh, it's 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 crazy because there are so many people who are uh, with the scientific you know temper in india and mm-hmm. with knowledge and you, you know the government didn't dip into their talent pool uh and instead like the last year you know the solution for coronavirus to go away was to bang steel plates or drink cow urine or you know <laughs> you know those were the solutions offered to <laughs> india's right uh, you know it sounds uh, like mysore in the 90s but that's what <laughs> you we know, did so uh, but I mean, you didn't have covid then right so no. <laughs> so it's just <laughs> you know i mean it's just been like uh you know people are just offering all these ayurvedic uh, sort of solutions as treatments to covid and uh, it's been uh, it's and and the health minister of the country i'm not i'm not even talking about like you know random you know folk on the street uh mm-hmm. and and so it's been just uh you know i i i just, I, I just don't have words it's just it's sort uh, of a, a clash of um I guess maybe like traditional or ancient sort of culture or I you know maybe homeopathy in in a sense but not in the modern sense versus modern science and like a a little bit of a war going on between these two perspectives. I I don't even think it's that, right? It's like you're being like this thing that's sticking your head in the sand because you have right. the science it's like okay you can do a uh, pranayama or whatever uh for you know to to you know strengthen your lungs that's something that you should do but there is science and you know you're a country that is like got like so many doctors and you know uh uh and doctors that we've sent in, like you know who who are in north america primarily indians mm-hmm. and so yeah. why would you yeah. uh, not uh, believe the science and push these um you know uh uh you know sort of remedies to right. something like covid you know banging a steel plate no a banging a steel plate is not uh, you know anything to do with our culture 
<laughs> right, right. It's just sort of a superstitious. No, sort it's of not. It's just some. It's technique. just drama, you know, just drama, drama. which is just, right. uh, you know, to get, like, you know, just like circus. I mean, it's just uh, ridiculous. Yeah. I just wanted to, for our listeners who may not know the word Hindutva, um, it's it's an interesting kind of phenomenon I think going on um, in India that I think is is similar to what's going on in the states that there's a uh, far right Christian beliefs seem to be directing the government, mm. though ostensibly we have the separation of church and state, which is not at all in practice. Mm. Uh, Hindutva being this um, this nationalist notion that a true Indian, a real Indian, is one who partakes of his Hinduness, and I I would think that that would make um, a Catholic. Um, no, that is not correct. Not the first part is not correct. It is not so. about Hindu. It, it is, you know, you just flip what the uh, what Hindutva is white is what uh, you know the far right in in uh, in the Western world is talking about, which is your white supremacy. Yeah. So Hindutva is about Brahmin supremacy ah. and the hating of people of the other, you know, the lower castes who are mm-hmm. Hindus. So right. you have Dalits uh, who are Hindus. So it is not only about, uh, it is only about Brahmin supremacy and hating of other religions, which is Islam uh, or Christianity. Right. Uh, or Sikh, Sikhism? Or Sikh or Parsis, or whatever, any minority, gens. Oh, so, so a Dalit, uh, or um, um, any kind of labor, oh, yeah. in fact, uh, it, that's also excluded from Hinduism. So, uh, it, I mean, unfortunately, it, I mean, you know, because of the caste system, they have been, uh, I mean, they are Hindus, but they just lower, they have been categorized as Dalits, uh, or scheduled castes, or scheduled tribes, but they're Hindus. And because of the, you know, because of the Brahmin supremacy, uh, you know, the, you know, the Brahmin said anyone which who were of lower caste were not welcome into their temples or couldn't even drink water from a well or that they drank water from oh. or, you know, so. And therefore, yeah, you know, the Dalits, in America. Uh, <laughs> the Dalits, uh, you know, uh, then were forced to do manual scavenging and cleaning bathrooms and doing you know, housework. So the labor is really because of the caste system. It has nothing to do with their, uh, you know, uh, that's mm. the way the inequality has been. Uh, and that's what Brahmin, which is what Hindutva is. Whereas Hinduism, which is the country that I grew up, grew up in, it, like Hindutva is just, one, you know, is about one God. Whereas Hinduism, which is India, is multiple gods, multiple cultures, multiple subcultures. And that's, that's where everyone grew up and that's how all of us like you know to answer you know when you said at the beginning of the podcast we were talking about how everyone sort of gets along we used to get along you know uh because everyone knew the differences people celebrated each other's festivals people you know i mean it was just easy i mean this kind of islamophobia and I don't know what is the word for, you know, hatred for Christians or whatever. It's just, it's just ridiculous. And obviously the caste crimes against Dalits uh, is just uh, unbelievable. It is unbelievable what goes on with them. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if you, if you could tell us how your, your family is, is doing 
and how are, how are they taking care and what do you think the feeling is among among your family uh so my family lives in uh my parents live in uh you know a different part of india and uh, so obviously i'm i'm locked down currently in bombay and they are locked down where they are uh and uh, so obviously uh you know for 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 somebody like me it's personally it's been one is like you you want to make sure that you don't contract the virus because every second person i know like it's in everybody's home right now uh mm-hmm. you, you know you like it's 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 just publicly and privately you know enough for friends and family who have it uh who've been in hospital with very serious cases of covid who've almost died we know family friends who've died um you know friends who are right now in hospital uh so it is um and my parents are you know in their late 70s so for me uh there is that fear uh obviously of uh, of your family and you know will they get oxygen if it comes to that situation and so but uh you know you just uh, say a prayer and you know hope things you know a miracle happens yeah you said that you you haven't left your your home in quite a few months and i'm wondering if if there's you find yourself doing more now to take care of people what is your what is your situation so uh now um you know especially in the last uh you know like i said uh in the last two and a half weeks when you know the whole covid uh you know thing just blew up and people were struggling for beds and uh and as a person of privilege uh you i'm seeing people with you know similar or much more level of contacts connections money coming onto twitter and begging for a bed that's just unreal i mean it has been unreal people uh you know like india has spent less than 2% of it you know on healthcare and so it's really showing up on in the way our hospital systems right now are you know overwhelmed uh and um, so it's been uh it it is been um uh you know so so what i have tried to do and i think a lot of us you know who are stuck at home uh, and it's just not just me a lot of citizens uh, are just you know sort of banding up on social media and amplifying you know cases for people who want beds people who want oxygen people who want life saving or drugs uh, or even covid meals to be delivered to their homes uh you know so just sort of amplifying them and uh, you know sort of like um, making sure they get them mm-hmm. mm. um, like people who wouldn't be able to go on social media and and at this point unfortunately it is only people who are able to go on social media my heart breaks for the people who um, don't have internet who don't have access to somebody uh who you know um yeah this is just somebody you know it's just strangers we're just helping strangers it is not somebody i like i'm amplifying people who i don't know we're just saying you know like like we're all just doing that it's just helping strangers out that's what is happening on indian twitter right now right yeah and i mean there's so many people in india who you know like you just said, you know, don't have access to internet or uh, social media and are very poor and probably even going through um, this predicament without any help or resources at all. 
Yeah, and uh, they don't, ha- and and even if like they have COVID, they like you, you, they they don't have the resources to go to it. And you know the the situation in India is also like because we've had a lockdown which was pretty bad last year, where you know it was just announced on in with four hours of notice, and that really. Uh, Screwed. I'm trying to find a better word for it. I'm sorry. Yeah, screwed is, <laughs> screwed screwed right is good. Screwed yeah. the poor. <laughs> screwed yeah, there were so many thought. millions, millions yeah. of people who had to walk home because the yeah, trains for, were shut for, for days, for days in the yeah. hot sun with you know all their belongings on their head, their children on their shoulders, which is four hours notice, and it screwed the economy. It you know it you know migrant workers really suffered. People just died you know mm-hmm. uh and uh anyway businesses suffered anyway economy suffered and then when the second wave happened uh you know this whole thing has just you know again uh and now lockdowns are just getting you know uh called by each government now states are calling lockdowns and the people who suffer are the daily wage earners and the migrant labor again and uh, they don't have access to uh, you know healthcare they don't have access to all the numbers that we're shouting out on you know social media or whatever and there's just literally like if you're locked into your house the only thing you have is your internet and your phone and you can help those right so that is what is um, you know the unfortunate part and it's just really heartbreaking that you know it's just citizens on the ground you know like ngos or you know organizations who are trying to give food or you know meal kits um and certain hospitals that are you know raising funds so that they can treat uh, patients who are poor uh etc yeah. it's it's really it's heartbreaking because i i remember also feeling such a sense of of rage and injustice and and helplessness uh the last 4 years in in the united states that uh what what would what needed to be done, especially the last year, what needed to be done was a change in in leadership, and so I felt like everything that I could do to to do that to change leadership would be would be helpful, and that would be the best way to combat this disease. I I had heard recently, um, perhaps this, I think this is true, but I'd heard recently that um, you know, like Facebook, for example, was caught uh, in India. Uh, uh, deleting any messages that called for changes in leadership in in India. I don't know if you'd heard that. Yeah, the hashtag resign Modi was deleted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's in- it's <clears throat> so I do. I th- I think that your your mission to amplify the message is is critically important, especially when there are people on the opposite side striving to delete your message. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's crazy because like the you know the you know the 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 government has been uh, asking, um, uh, you know, Facebook uh, has anyway been hugely, you know, responsible for a lot of the hate uh, in India. But, um, you know, Twitter has sort of bailed its uh, reputation out with it being actually the national COVID helpline of India. Uh, yeah. And um, it, it, it the government got uh, 50 tweets deleted, uh, you know, of people who were, either calling out, uh, you know, the atrocities of the government or uh, even asking for help. Uh, And uh, we've been told, uh, volunteers have been told not to amplify, uh, you know, cases for oxygen or beds in the state of Uttar Pradesh. Uh, And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, you know, like, you know, we all run risk of, uh, 
uh, a run-in with the government, right? So it, it is something that, uh, and we don't have an election till 2024. So yeah, it's uh, a long ways away. <laughs> yeah, it's a long way away. So, um, you know, it's it's just, um, you know, it, it, it is kind of like, you know, this whole, um, uh, this whole uh, crisis that is here is not, you know, it's not just, you know, saving, you know, it's not just COVID lives. It's also like, you know, you're fighting this, you know, this disinformation and, mm-hmm. you know, you're fighting the government and, you know, and in spite of, uh, in spite of, uh, you know, what has unfolded, uh, you know, in the press, uh, it, it, you know, the government has said, you know, they will continue to build, uh, you know, a parliament and has treated that as essential work in the, you know, while this is happening, like yesterday, they, or, you know, so it's, it's just ridiculous. Like, we don't, I mean, like, I think we've all realized that, uh, at least most of us have realized, like, I, I, I don't know about the followers uh, who continue to follow uh, this kind of leadership, but, um, you know, that pretty much every pol- you know political party is a crook and they're corrupt, but at least vote the ones who believe in science and humanity into power, right? So lives yeah. can be saved um, and invest in sort of like vote for people who, uh, you know, care about healthcare and education over religion. So... Yeah. Um, well, uh, in, and, and, in space of a, a political transformation, what, what is it that we could do to help? Uh, so I think like, you know, there's obviously the easiest thing is, you know, to donate, um, you know, to causes. But like if 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 I'm like looking at, say, the yoga or, you know, community, I think uh, Indians around like Indians in India or Indians, uh, the diaspora, especially are panicking because they can't come to India and, you know, maybe their parents are here, their family is here and, you know, they, you know, they're really having a lot of anxiety um, and, you know, the collective mental toll health of, uh, you know, Indians have taken a toll. Uh, So I think, um, I think, uh, you know, things like free meditations, which can be done, like guided visualization, meditations, those things will help. Uh, things you know, to help they're... reduce the stress of the, the people who are touched by Yes, and even, even even the ones who are stuck at home, right? Like who just yeah. like anxious about people are separated from their families, people are grieving, uh, people are sick. A lot of people are sick. In fact, like a lot of the yoga community is sick in India. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so that would be one of the things. Uh, another thing would be if there are qualified mental health professionals, if they could sort of like get in touch and, you know, we could amplify if they offer a sliding scale fee or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, free, uh, you know, just one session where somebody can go and went. Or, or talk yeah, about some you know some some counseling, um, mm-hmm. y- you know, read up about what is going on in India. Um, what else? I you know um, I think with respect to uh, you know aid, uh, you know, rural India is in distress, and so you know we you know the poor and the un unders, you know un, underserved of the country are not being at this point addressed, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, they need help as well, uh, you know, so donate to causes in rural India, because if you look at like urban India, it's not like there is no money there, right? People mm-hmm. who have money are dying outside hospitals. So money is not necessarily getting you a hospital bed or oxygen. 
if you know what I mean. Mm, yeah. um, right. uh, you know, um, I think with respect to, I think governments, I think, uh, you know, it, it, like if you look at other countries, they could sort of like, you know, ask your elected representatives to send aid vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, which is contacting uh, our own representatives here in and, your and own reminding countries. them yes yeah, uh, yeah. Them so i think i think the canadian government i think donated a substantial amount of equipment to the uh, you know indian red cross society uh, i think us is sending oxygen concentrators and equipment but you know i think they need to send like you know i think you know it's not something which is just uh, you know, it's it's a global crisis, right? At some point, it is going to come to, you know, this variant of the virus is going to come to your door. Uh, yeah. And, you know, everyone suffers, uh, yeah. you know, we, uh, uh, till we get this uh, under control. So if, you know, there are excess vaccinations somewhere, if you can share some with our country, um, uh, it would be great. So asking your elected re- representatives to do that. Um, and then One Zida- of the ironies I heard too was that the... Um, I forget which vaccination it was. One of the vaccinations is produced in India. And the AstraZeneca one. Yes, the AstraZeneca. Thank you. Vaccine. Vaccine, yeah. yes. And and has, you know, India's been providing all different countries all over the world with the vaccine. And now Maybe. when you can really use any. it, you don't yeah. have any. Yeah, which is what has like, you know, pissed us all off because it's not about... You know, it's not about like not helping others, right? But you also, like they say, right, charity begins at home. So first help your own people. And the largest, the world's largest manufacturer of vaccines that produces 60% of vaccines is in in my state of Maharashtra. And the government has been doing vaccine diplomacy to build their own image by giving vaccines to all other countries. Uh, And now we don't have vaccines. Uh, My parents had to stand uh, in queue for four hours with tons of people in a government center, not their, uh, you know, scheduled uh, hospital uh, after making multiple trips on multiple days because of vaccine shortages. Um, And um, now the 18 to 44 year olds has been opened up, but we don't have appointments because there are no vaccines. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... Meanwhile, and then there's a tussle the states, between the people... center states. Yeah, and and I think from what I from, from what I read in the press, uh, I, I, I if I'm stating this correctly, you know, the U.S. has a, a huge stockpile of AstraZeneca vaccines, which exactly. is not using uh, because people and... are refusing to take them. Yeah, so just give it to us, man. (laughs) (laughs) I think if if nothing else, this pandemic has really, um, you know, opened everyone's eyes who who have the eyes to see, maybe, I guess, that we're very much a global community and we're all interconnected and that nobody is like an isolated country or an isolated state on their own that that everything is very much um, interglobal now and we need to work together as as one people in one world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't want to take you away from your business uh, of, of helping um, your community. Uh, I, I hope that this in some way amplifies your message and that we can, we can access uh, as, as many of our listeners as we can and, just want to thank you for for sharing i know that these these hardships are very difficult right now 
Thank you, Russell. Um, and thank you, Harmony, for having me on and giving me the opportunity, you know, to, you know, through your platform to raise awareness for India and its crisis. Um, and I really appreciate you taking time to do this. Thank you for, yeah. uh, for, for, for doing this fundraiser. And uh, uh, I, I look forward to also being a part of it. Yeah, well, we're happy you're mm. going to be a part of it. I, I really... Um... I, I really love your, the mission of your organization, the True Bay India. I, the reaching, reaching underserved communities and making yoga accessible was something that was very much a, a large part of my life when I when I worked for the Joyce Foundation and uh, my mentor Jean and I, um, you know, went out trying to get kids access to yoga who would never have have, have experienced yoga otherwise and. You know, Jean sadly passed away of COVID a, a few weeks ago, and it's oh, no. this, for the same reason. You know, he's you, he's he's somewhere alone in a bed, not able to breathe, and that's um, we're all so in this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Pratima. It was so wonderful to talk with you today, and I look forward to seeing you on May eighth. Likewise, in person. Is- Uh, a pleasure uh, uh, to talk to you and Russell and thank you for having me on thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony with me your host Harmony Slater you can find out more information on my website harmonyslater.com and I look forward to connecting with you again soon standing in Shadow, watching the breaking.